Now, it wasn't listed anywhere. You couldn't find it in any of the any annual reports. This is something that someone was doing some digging and found out. And when it came out, that's what happened. Is this other firm had ownership of the shares. So technically the shares on the US exchange were worthless. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risks, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest, Kirk Chisholm. Kirk, are you ready to rock? Of course. I'm always ready to rock, Andrew. Oh, yeah. Well, Kirk is a principal and wealth manager at Innovative Advisory Group, an independent RIA registered investment advisor located in Lexington, Massachusetts. He has been providing financial advice to individuals and families since 1999. Kirk's influence and innovation has promoted change in many areas of the wealth management industry. Kirk provides a different perspective on many commonly held beliefs when it comes to portfolio management, retirement investing, financial planning, inflation, economics, and other personal finance topics. His rare expertise with alternative investments held in self-directed IRAs has helped many investors invest in their passion. Kirk is frequently quoted and interviewed by industry media outlets in print, audio, and video media formats. He writes frequently for industry publications and major media publications. Kirk was acknowledged as the number seven most influential financial advisors on Investopedia's top 100, ladies and gentlemen, and he's on our show. My goodness. Investment News named Kirk as one of the top 10 social media all-stars in the financial services industry. Kirk writes on his company's blog, and you can read his articles there. He also is the host of the Money Tree Investing Podcast. We'll have all the links in the show notes. Kirk, take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life. Wow. You do me a lot of justice here, Andrew. I don't know. I don't know if I could actually contribute any more than that. That's glowing recommendations. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's fantastic. You know, it's impressive what you've, what you've done. So I appreciate that. All right. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and tell us your story. Well, there's so many to choose from. And I think anyone who's been around long enough as an investor knows that they probably have many worst investments. But I think the one that I think would probably be most pertinent given the state of world affairs right now would be an investment I made into a Chinese coal company. Now, this is investment I made, I must have been 10 years ago, by maybe longer. It was a long time ago. But this is back when. You know, I get a lot of research from various entities and I tend to do a lot of diligence on the people that are doing the research so I know the kind of the depth of their research because, you know, any investor knows you can't do it all yourself. There's just not enough time in the day. There's not enough brain cells in your head to do the level of research needed. Usually, you know, even the top hedge funds need a team. So take this example. So this company had what the theme was is this company was an operating company. I had a, a friend of mine who's an analyst who actually went and visited the company in China. So this is not one of those investments that didn't exist that actually existed. It was a thriving company. They were 
at the time in China, they were looking to consolidate a lot of the mom and pop coal companies because there were a lot of accidents. It just was, they were poorly regulated. So the country was trying to suggest that they should roll these up and be operated by more legitimate parties. So all of the, all of the diligence that we did, all the diligence that my friend did when they were over there, they met people, they saw the operation, saw that everything was great checked all the boxes. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, there was a report out by a short seller. And you never really truly know if the short sellers are accurate. Sometimes they're doing their own pump and dump schemes. They're, you, know, you never know their intentions. But this report happened to be accurate. But we didn't know. We knew that the report came out. We looked at it and said, well, you know, not quite sure that this is, this is true or not. It seems to be kind of little bit inflated with how it was being written up. And it turned out that they halted trading at one point. And we were using options on this one because at the time we were getting, I think, I think it was like 36% yield on the, on selling puts on this. So it limited our risk, but obviously not enough. And they halted trading at one point. And when it came out, really what happened was that the company itself was a valid company, but what they didn't disclose was that they had taken the company shares and used them as collateral to secure a loan from a private equity firm. Now, it wasn't listed anywhere. You couldn't find it in any of the any annual reports. This is something that someone was doing some digging and found out. And when it came out, that's what happened is this other firm had, had ownership of the shares. So technically the shares on the US exchange were worthless because the shares were given to someone else as, as collateral and there was nothing you could do. You, you could sue them, but they're in China. So good luck trying to get your money back or to get any sort of criminal action. So effectively it was a zero and it was extremely hard to pick out. So you think about this, you think about like, and I know a lot of really bright people that got burned here. And it wasn't just like, hey, we did poor research. It was, you know, in China, there are some cultural differences about property rights and how, you know, what's, I don't want to say ethically right and wrong, but let's just say they have difference of opinions than we do in the US about property rights. And they don't look at it as such a big thing as we do. And I think in some ways, I assumed at the time, well, everyone kind of looks at property rights the same way and come to find out after they don't. And I think what the biggest lesson I learned was no matter how much research you do, no matter how much due diligence you can do, there are always risks that can happen. And subsequently, my, my result of that was I just don't invest in Chinese companies anymore unless it's through maybe an index, but even then I stay away. And I think what I've realized is just too hard to, to find the validity behind the research and behind the end reports and all the other stuff that you have to sift through. It's just too hard to, to verify it. And I do not have a team of 100 people and, and millions of dollars in research to go over and do all this, all this myself. So I think the easiest solution is just to not invest. Our team, we have a huge amount of research that we do on a lot of different investments. And we do more than anyone I know. But when it comes to stuff like this, it's just, sometimes it's just really hard to, to find the things you're really looking for just because it's, it's not where you think that they are.
Got it. Got it. So what lessons did you learn? How would you summarize that? I guess I would summarize it as always assume that there's risk. No matter what you invest in, you always have to assume there's risk. The way that we manage risk is we assess all the risks. We acknowledge what, what risks there are. We try to mitigate as many as possible and we have to be comfortable with what's left over. So one of the lessons I learned is using options in a more beneficial way. We were using options in this case, which limited our risk, but I think we could have done a better job at that. So I think in hindsight, we could have done that one differently. Also, I think another lesson obviously is investing internationally is harder. I think across the world, everyone in their own country has a home country bias. I mean, the statistics show that, that if you're living in a country, no matter where it is, you're more likely to invest in that country than another country just because it's, it's something you're familiar with. So I think a lot of people have that and sometimes it's for good reason. I mean, there are many opportunities out there globally, but there are not a lot of really good international investors. I mean, there used to be some really solid ones with names you know, but it's hard to find now that people who are really, really good at it. So I think the other lesson is just staying within your own comfort zone and invest, as Peter Lynch used to say, is invest in what you know. <laughs> and there's a blast from the past. A lot of the young listeners haven't, you know, aren't familiar with Peter Lynch, but, you know, phenomenal books that came out in 1988 and those years when I was, you know, just getting interested in the world of the stock market. So for those that haven't read his books, I'll put the links in the show notes, but the great reference there, stay in what you know. And he was a great one at the idea of, you know, he invested in a lot of different things, but they had to be things that he could really understand that it weren't overly complex. So yeah, a lot that I learned from Peter Lynch. So let me summarize what I take away from this. And, you know, this is a, this is a hard one because I think that there's just times that you cannot see risk. You know, that, that's risk. If you could see it, it's already in the price. And the risks that really matter are the ones that we can't see. People always talk about corporate governance in Asia, let's say, and I've spent my whole career in the markets in Asia. And I'd say, you know, that, ask me, what do you use corporate governance scorecards and all that? And I say, look, if a company is bad at corporate governance, it's already in the price. If a company is good at corporate governance, but is going to have a bad corporate governance event, you think a financial analyst is going to tell you? They probably won't even notice it. And you could even argue that they have some incentives to not even reveal that. So it's very hard to say that you could really predict something related to a corporate governance event. And I think that, that the hardest part of this, and this to me out of your whole story, the hardest part of this is what do you do when someone comes out with something really negative on a company that you own? What do you do? And I suspect that you guys face that situation when you saw that sell note and you're like, yeah, I don't know. You know, like it's, it's hard. And I would say that that's probably the hardest thing out of this whole thing for me is what to do when the market or somebody puts out something very negative, because in one hand, you could say that's not true and we're solid buyers of this company. But on the other hand, you know, I've learned from many of my guests in my own experience that when somebody's taking the opposite view, sometimes you need to listen even more to that one. I'm just curious. That's my kind of main takeaway is that question that, that uh, do you have any thoughts on that or how the listener out there can deal with that when they're owning something and something really negative, like a strong short type of note comes out. 
I think it's a great, great point because I think anyone who's worth their salt as an investor or as a thinker, we always have to assess the contrarian view. And we always have to look at how we're wrong because none of us are right 100% of the time. The smartest people are wrong. I mean, Warren Buffett's wrong frequently. I mean, everyone's wrong. And I think the best way to improve our skills as investors is to seek out why we're wrong instead of looking because I think this is a natural human bias is confirmation bias we all look for it right I mean you're you're not in, based in the US but hopefully you're you're benefiting from the fact that you're not here with all, all the political games that are going on and the ridiculousness <laughs> but like you know I but am benefiting I think, yeah you're <laughs> benefiting quite a bit I, I would love to switch places with you right now but when you think about it, like say like politics, and I don't want to dump into politics, but like just take that for an example as a topic, right? People are very opinionated and they're very passionate about their viewpoints. And we're always looking for information that's confirming our view that we're right. Like if you're a Democrat, you're like, oh, you're looking for people who are confirming your opinions. You're Republican. You're looking for people who are confirming your opinions. Very, very few people are looking for opinions that are the opposite of what we believe because it doesn't feel good. We don't like being wrong. Nobody wants to be wrong. So we're looking for ways that we can be right. And I think as an investor, you always have to be searching out ways that you're wrong because you will be frequently. And the best investors will acknowledge that. They'll tell you, they say, I'm wrong a lot. I'm just quick to make a change when I'm wrong. I mean, George Soros says that a lot. He's like, it's not about being right or wrong. It's about how much you win when you're right and how much you lose when you're wrong. Mm. So if you're making these choices and you're seeking out ways that you can be wrong, then you're going to be better for it. So to answer your question as a long-winded way to do it, you know, the way that you can go about that is by, for instance, when that research came out, in hindsight, I probably should have done is closed out the position reassessed it and then come back and then seeing if I wanted to invest it again. And it's hard because I've been on the other side of that where I'm invested and I see a report come out and it's total fabrication and it just comes back to where it was. So it's, it's a really hard thing to distinguish, but sometimes the best answer is just to take your chips off the table and reassess or go put them somewhere else. Um, great, great, great thoughts on that. One of the things that you said I really appreciate is that it doesn't feel good. It does not feel good to bring in information that's counter to what our view is. And we have to face the fact that it doesn't feel good and, and get through it. And the other thing that I take away from what you just said, which I think is super, super valuable, you said, I probably should have just closed out the position and reevaluated that. I oftentimes say to myself, you know, and the way I look at it for the portfolios that we do is basically I, I say, imagine every quarter, we just look at every position and say, and this is, if I was running a fund management company, I would bring all my fund managers once a quarter into a room and say, oh, guess what? Yesterday I sold your whole positions, every single company you own. Now your portfolio is all in cash. Where are you going to put the money? And it is a way, whether you actually sell your positions, as you just mentioned, or whether you actually go through the, the motions of it saying, I have, let's just imagine that we don't own it now. Would we add to it now? Would we, what would we do? And I think that that helps to, to deal with this, this problem of what to do when we have conflicting information coming out. So 
Well, let me ask, based on what you've learned from this story and what you continue to learn, and I mean, you are a serious learner from all that you do, what one action, one action, would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? And I think I would like to really bring it down to that moment where you bought the stock, you like the stock, you're owning it, and then all of a sudden one day, something seriously negative comes out that's not, you're not able to completely confirm, what would you do? I think really what it comes down to is just selling it and reassessing. I think at the beginning, I got a little greedy because the options prices were inflated because of the story. And I saw the, I saw the money and just said, Oh, this is, this is worth it. And I think it's sometimes we get caught up in our emotions and we just need to be very logical about it and just say, this is, this is potentially damaging. Let's close it out and let's, either reinvest later or look for another entry, but not getting tied to your position, not being emotionally involved with your position, I think is another thing that's really important to, to take away from that. Yeah, that's, and it's not very common advice. I think you've given us a real nugget of good advice of sell and reassess. Avoid getting caught up in the greed of the situation. So last question, what's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Hmm, that's a really good question. I'm consistently looking to improve myself and I do a lot of coaching and training of other advisors and CPAs. So right now I'm really passionate about providing mentorship and leadership to other professionals. So I think for me, that's really my number one goal is just to be a better leader for other people to help them improve and to help them be better at what they do. Well, that's a great, <laughs> that's a very, very great goal. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Kirk, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. And I truly want to congratulate you because it's a rare person that's willing to come on the show, talk about their worst investment, and here you have done it and you have converted your worst investment into the greatest learning moment for so many listeners. So do you have any parting words for our audience? Sure, and I wanna say, and I appreciate you kind of pointing that out because I, I have this philosophy, which is not necessarily mine, but shared by some others as well, which is there is no growth without struggle. So you don't learn from your wins as much as you learn from your losers. And I have to say, this is a great show. And one of the reasons I wanted to come on the show is because the idea is so perfect, is that we learn so much from our losers and our losing positions and our, and our mistakes, that if the only mistake I think that people can make is not learning from their losers. So I think it's, this is an awesome show and a, and a great idea. And I, and I certainly wish you all the success with this show. And I want to say in terms of the parting words, so we, we actually have a, a free report that we're going to provide to the listeners that is the top 75 alternative investments that people can consider if they're looking to invest outside of the market, and especially for people who are a little afraid of the market right now, which is quite a few. <laughs> and you can find that at innovativewealth.com slash worst investments. So it's innovativewealth.com slash worst investments and you can download the free report. And if you want to learn more about me, you can certainly find me anywhere. I'm easy to find. 
Fantastic. Well, we appreciate that gift and listeners take him up on it because he is a true expert in this area of alternative investment. So we appreciate that. And I'll put a link in the show notes for the listeners too, if you didn't get it down, if you're driving your car. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside.